Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit CARON.org slash lost. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Let the word go forth. Fool me once. Are you fired up? I'm not a crook. Are you ready to go? Shame on Shame on you. It's Abe Lincoln's Top Hat, hosted by Ben Kissel. Boom, you can't get fooled again. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. I am Ben Kissel, and this is the Dumpster Fire Chats. Big news for the BK for BK campaign. Of course, that's Ben Kissel for Brooklyn. I'm currently running for Brooklyn Borough President. We're having our launch party June 16th at Skinny Dennis in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. It'll be from 6 to 8 p.m. I'm extremely excited about it. If you can come out, please come out. Enjoy the festivities. There's going to be balloons. Because what political event uh, is what, what is a political event without some amazing balloons? So there'll be balloons, streamers, a whole series of things. I'll give a small uh, speech, and the cowmen will be performing along with a band that I absolutely love called Earnhardt. Uh, so be sure to check that out. June 16th, Skinny Dennis, 6 to 8 p.m. in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Um, all right. And I want to thank everyone for your support for the campaign, uh, for the campaign by the way. Uh, it, these live shows have been so fun. Uh, and after the show and before the show, uh, just getting to talk politics and discuss policy uh, with you all has been uh, just one of the highlights of my life. So thank you so much. All right. Well, let's start with an email here. Uh, it comes from Devore. Uh, Devore, I believe I'm pronouncing that right. She says it's pr- pronounced Devore. And I think I got it. I hope anyway. If I didn't, I apologize. Okay, so this is the question. Dumpster Fire Chats question. Uh, The subject is worried about the Trumpkins and their guns. Worried about the Trumpkins and their guns. I do want to say before I even read this email, one of the interesting phenomenons about the administration, about Donald Trump being in the Oval Office, gun sales are actually down 17%. Uh, We talked about this at nauseum on the show previously. Barack Obama and the Obama administration, uh, through no fault of their own, other than the hysteria on the right, uh, gun sales went through the roof uh, when Barack Obama was in office because everyone was uh, dead set on the notion uh, sort of put forward by the Charlton Heston type individuals who are the spokespeople uh, for the NRA about uh, how the Obama 
and Biden and the Democratic Party and the communists are coming to take your guns. Uh, gun sales went through the roof, but now they feel right at home uh, with Donald Trump. So gun sales are actually down 17 percent, despite the fact we have Jeff Sessions as attorney general who is knocking down doors and taking people away from their families because they are undocumented individuals living in this country. We need a path to citizenship, but that is a whole nother conversation. Okay, dumpster fire chats question, worried about the Trumpkins and their guns. The email reads, hello, Ben. First off, thanks so much for your compassionate and accessible conversation regarding our current political climate. You and Marcus are my weekly salvation. Uh, Thank you so much. That's really sweet. And we're working on being accessible and compassionate because at the end of the day, that's what this country needs right now. And dare I say, that's what the world needs. Okay. My question for you has to do with Trump's most ardent followers. I grew up in a gun-owning family, and I still own a singular gun for protection that, thankfully, I've never had to use. I know, however, that many of Donald Trump's most vocal followers are owners of small arsenals and are not afraid to say that they believe that the so-called deep state is orchestrating plots against the American people. What do you think the odds are if Trump's possible impeachment slash ousting, if it isn't carried out correctly, that we might have a real armed uprising on our hands? I live in rural Tennessee, and the rhetoric against liberals often tends to be violent. So it's something I'm genuinely worried about. Thanks for all you do, uh, DeVore. Um, It's a fascinating phenomenon when it comes to partisan violence. And, of course, the left has some individuals. We've talked about this previously. Uh, May Day, I think the majority of uh, protests that have, you know, manifested themselves in order to let Donald Trump and his supporters know that they are not the only voices in this country that matter. Uh, Those protests, again, the vast majority, peaceful, wonderful individuals exercising their First Amendment rights of freedom of speech, freedom of protest. Sometimes those do get uh, violent, specifically when it comes to destruction of property. Uh, This is sort of a left belief in some instances, uh, such as the Weather Underground, uh, where destruction of property is not deemed violence. I personally, of course, uh, believe that it is violence, uh, and I don't think that it is ever appropriate to go in and destroy somebody else's livelihood who you don't even know the political affiliation of because you're upset with the current administration in office. However, uh, the rise of right-wing extremism cannot be overlooked. And the violence that has ensued because of the rhetoric that has been put forward by the voices of the far right. Again, your Wayne Lapierre's, Lapierre's of the NRA, uh, Sarah Palin, um, uh, who, of course, uh, ominously um, tweeted out a picture of all supposedly non-gun-loving uh, Congress people uh, and, and uh, over those districts and over the faces of the individuals that she deemed not far enough right on gun issues, they put crosshairs. And that's why we have a situation such as that happened to Gabby Giffords, where a lunatic, a, a, a raving madman, Jared Loeffner, 
approached her at an event where she was meeting with constituents, which is something that we want our politicians to do, and shot her. And where does this come from? It doesn't just come out of the ether. These are real-life reflections of rhetoric. And that's what we see on a regular basis when it comes to Ann Coulter and her total hatred for immigrants. She doesn't live around immigrants. As a matter of fact, immigrants just built her new house in the Hamptons. She doesn't have to deal with the hatred that she spews manifesting itself in reality because her real life is so disconnected from the people who purchase her book and subscribe to her toxic ideology on the world. This is a international phenomenon that we're seeing. And I don't want to sit here and be some alarmist or scare anybody. Um, and quite frankly, I love that, Devori, uh, I love that you uh, exercise your Second Amendment right uh, to have a gun. And specifically in a place like rural, uh, I believe it was Tennessee. I mean, you, you need uh, protection and you're well within your right, constitutional right, to do so. Uh, to protect yourself. We, but we have situations, international situations now, that are uh, happening uh, seemingly on a more regular basis. Uh, if you look at what happened in Quebec, uh, what do we have? We've been having a lot of anti-Muslim rhetoric happening. Of course, this is a classic. Anytime uh, the Western civilization goes to war with another civilization, uh, it's just human nature to demonize uh, that civilization. If you look at uh, how we treated the Japanese in World War II or the, um, or the Vietnamese uh, you know, during the 70s, or the Russians, to some degree, how we uh, dehumanized the Russians during the Cold War. Uh, and now, of course, Muslims, they're on the list. Uh, they are next in line uh, for the oligarchs that are currently in power of the United States ever since 1900s, ever since McKinley. Uh, the American uh, government has become more of an oligarchy. Uh, than a republic, which is quite unfortunate. But again, these are these are international uh, uh, issues. We look at this alt-right assassination, this man, Alexandra Basante. It sounds like he should run a French restaurant, but apparently he was watching some YouTube videos that hardened him, militarized him. So he went to a Quebec mosque and he murdered six individuals. It was said, uh, it, uh, let's see here, uh, he killed six people at a, Quebec, uh, at a Quebec City mosque on January 29th. As the BBC reported, political science professor Pierre Martin uh, says that Basante may have been influenced by a mix of global nationalist trends, the so-called alt-right and currents within Quebec itself. So the one thing that we're having now with uh, technology, and the wonderful technology brings us uh, some wonderful things uh, on a very micro, micro level. Uh, and this is, I was just thinking about this the other day because we talk about automation and how uh, dangerous technology is and uh, how uh, we're, we're really being forced to address a new reality and a new existence. On a uh, on a daily basis, but for example, Henry moving out to Los Angeles, uh, if this was the 1990s or even early 2000s, that would have ended last podcast on the left because we didn't have Skype. But now uh, we get to do it. So technology does bring people together. At the same time, you have situations like we see here with Mr. Basante, who was hardened by the internet. And of course, we cannot uh, overlook Dylan Roof. 
Uh, look what he did uh, in South Carolina. Mass murder. There was a uh, there was a British man who was a uh, white fascist. He killed a Labour MP, Joe Cox. Uh, this was an, obviously in the UK. Uh, he carried with him extreme right wing views. And uh, there was also a man uh, right back here in America, in Colorado, Robert Lewis Deere, who opened fire on a Planned Parenthood and killed three people because nothing says pro-life more than killing individuals. That's how sick these people get because they get stuck in their bubbles. And uh, and I think we try to burst the bubble for both the left and the right whenever we possibly can. And I hope uh, people listening to this are recognizing the danger of just constantly being fed one ideology. You have to every day, like a muscle, your mind is a muscle, break it. Tear it the exact same way you got to tear your bicep muscle to get stronger. You must do that with your brain, and you can only break it by causing it stress, by causing it pain. And sometimes you got to read things that you disagree with, and you'll end up, the majority of times, if you might even disagree with the, with an overarching theme, but you'll, you'll find something in there that might turn something uh, on in your brain that was previously off. And that's the most important thing. So then we don't go down this uh, dangerous, dangerous rabbit hole uh, that leads uh, to such acts of violence. There was another white supremacist. Uh, he gave a Nazi salute. His name was Fraser Glenn Miller. He gave a Nazi salute uh, before he shot up a series of individuals in Missouri. Uh, he killed three people after opening fire on two Jewish centers in Kansas City, Missouri. So, I mean, I understand your fear, Devore. However, I mean, we do have to, yeah, we have to err on the side of optimism because I do believe that human beings are innately good despite what Roger Stone says. And I say that because we're, we have a society. We have a civilization. We've built so much. And when these events do occur, it's news because it's abnormal. If it was normal, this stuff would just go under the radar. Uh, we currently live in a country uh, with roughly 280 million guns. Uh, that's about 88 out of 100 individuals, uh, if you break it down by that, uh, have guns. But I believe there's only about 80 million individuals that actually do have the 280 million guns. So the majority of gun owners have more than one, as opposed to, um, as opposed to you, DeVore, who has the one singular gun for protection and, again, well within your Second Amendment rights uh, to have that gun and to protect yourself. Uh, so, I mean, this is definitely an issue that we have to be aware of and we have to understand that rhetoric, of course, everybody has freedom of speech. Everyone has their First Amendment right. But sometimes we need to uh, certainly not ban anything. No language should be banned. People should be able to say whatever they want to say, but we need to, when they say it, we need to recognize what they are saying, what that would look like in practicality, what that would look like if enacted in reality, and give people a counter-narrative that they can listen to 
and perhaps deter them from committing an act of violence that will not only ruin their lives, but obviously ruin the individuals that they harm, their lives as well. So thank you so much for writing in. I really appreciate your email. Hail yourself, and uh, I hope you're doing wonderful, and I hope you never have to use that gun. All right, let's do another email. Uh, This one comes in from someone who would like to uh, be anonymous, so of course I will respect that. Thank you so much for writing in. The subject is convict labor and exports. Convict labor and exports. And of course, we talk about the the massive need for prison reform in this country. I believe uh, with all of my heart that what we do with the prison industrial complex, with prisoners making goods uh, for mass consumption, not getting paid whatsoever. Of course, the 12% of private prisons in this nation who house the vast majority of undocumented workers, uh, those those are factories, those are plantations, in my personal opinion. But now we're dealing with exports, uh, which is quite interesting. So the email reads, Hi Ben, longtime listener of last podcast on the left, and Top at thanks for the hard work you do, and good luck with your campaign. Thank you so much, and don't forget, come out June 16th, Skinny Dennis, 6 to 8 p.m., Uh, Right here in beautiful Brooklyn. The email continues. I'm writing because I attended a seminar yesterday about the international trade. uh, And one of the issues the CBP rep there discussed was the implication of convict labor and import and exports. CBP, some people might be wondering what that is. That is the U.S. Customs and Border Protection. That's the CBP, U.S. Customs and Border Protections. Okay, so the email continues. Perhaps this is something you can look into as you build your platform. Absolutely. Thank you so much uh, once again for that. He mentioned a lot about social responsibility coming more to the forefront, even legislatively, when it comes to imports and exports as we move towards more protectionist trade policies. The iron might be hot enough to attack the private prison industry from the stance of trade. Very good point indeed. Sorry I don't have more for you, but wanted to let you know as it piqued my interest. I work for a steel trading company, so as we face our own Section 232 issue, I don't have much time for researching this sort of stuff. Good luck again and keep up the good work. Well, thank you so much uh, for writing in that email. And I really actually uh, was quite enlightened when I did a bit of research on this subject. Apparently in 2016, uh, there was a new rule that was passed uh, by the United States Congress, a new rule to ban the U.S. import of products made with forced labor. And what it could do is uh, mean trouble for companies whose supply chains reach to the darkest corners of the global labor market market. I'm just reading here from a from an article written by Tim Fernholz. Uh, he says, last week, U.S. Customs and Border Protection issued a seizure order for a shipment of soda ash produced by Tengzhen Sanyu Group, alleging that the chemical exporter relies on prison labor. It was the first such order since 2001, granted after Congress closed a loophole that had rendered a century-old ban on forced labor imports toothless. So you can imagine how interesting that is. 2001, we reverted back to 1900. Isn't that something? How, you know, we always think about the future has to be better than the past, and no way are we going to go back to barbaric 
practices of our ancestors. And then we see an example of it right there in 2001. When the people uh, of, of the 19th century said, no, we don't want slave labor exports. But hey, 2001, they loosened up the restrictions, loosened up the regulations and said, forget about it. Let's just have them. It doesn't matter. Let's just take all the slave imports and exports that we want. And uh, no big deal. A second order. This is uh, going back to the article. A second order against another Chinese chemical company. Uh, was announced on April 13th. Both companies provide the chemical processors to a huge range of common products from glass and dyes to silicone and food preservatives. Uh, Now activists and companies are gearing up for a battle over the rule which came into effect last month. A coalition of human rights advocates and labor groups are organizing to use the rule to force the seizure of imported goods and to call attention to dangerous labor practices abroad, even as companies respond to mounting pressure to clean up their supply chain. Now, I did a little more research on this, and I could not find if the Trump administration had gone back to what the Bush administration uh, did regarding lifting that ban or at the very least making it toothless, uh, putting in a certain wording that nullifies the vast intent behind the law. I could not find if they did. Uh, this all comes uh from a, a 1930 uh, tariff act, which generally barred imports that regulators uh, determined uh, were made with enslaved, coerced, or child labor allowed. But of course, again, in 2001, uh, they allowed for a massive exemption, uh, which basically went back to uh, to allowing uh, child and uh, slave-made goods to be sold on the shelves of Target, Walmart, uh, Kmart, Costco, you name it. Heck, you know, it's kind of one of those sad, strange realizations, uh, you know, when uh, individuals, even with with good hearts, might uh, consider themselves citizens of the world, uh, as my grandfather did. uh, When you realize that a lot of the goods that that we use on a regular basis are created with immense suffering. It's something that us as consumers do need to be serious about. And we do need to look into where our products are coming from. And we need to let the industries know that we will not accept purchasing a product that is made because of slave labor, from slave labor, or from child labor. And that's on us, the consumer. And that is one of the great things about capitalism. Consumers do have a power. And I firmly believe when you shop, it is a vote. Uh, In many, many ways, it is a vote. Uh, I'm not sitting here saying let's politicize everything. I think we are far too politicized. If you're a conservative and want to get a Kia uh, car, go for it. And if you're a Democrat and you want to get a huge Dodge Ram truck or whatever, it doesn't matter. I don't want to politicize uh, you know, every product that we have in our country, because that's the the analytics and the and the data breakdown of our regular lives is so uh, oppressive and overwhelming at this point. They think they can dictate or figure out uh, your exact political beliefs uh, based upon if you like cooler ranch nachos or nacho cheesier Doritos. Um, yeah, but uh, I mean, granted, if you if you like nacho cheesy or Doritos over cooler ranch nachos, you're probably a communist. I'm not, I'm just saying. I, I think that's possible. You, obviously, I'm just joking around. Um, but that is something that we can do and be aware of, and I will actively be more aware of that myself in my own life. 
uh, finding out where these goods come from, it's extremely difficult uh, because these corporations are so huge and they can just they can, uh, you know, just tell you whatever they think that you want to hear. And to some degree, there might be some truth to the shred of information that they give you. Uh, and uh, in order to uh, convince you that their products are made uh, with individuals who are treated with respect, humanity uh, and dignity and given a living a wage in order to create the products that we use on a regular basis. So that was a fascinating email, and thank you so much uh, for sending it. Uh, that was an enlightening story that I had not uh, previously uh, heard about, and uh, so I really appreciate that. All right, let's do one more email. Thank you all for emailing in. You can email benk721 at gmail.com. That's benk721 at gmail.com. Uh, and now this next email and final email of this dumpster fire chats, it's entitled Border Wall. That is the subject, Border Wall. And I'm wondering if I read it previously. I think it's possible, but either way, this story does not seem to be going away, and it's important enough to talk about what's again. So the email reads, Hello, Ben. I'm a big fan of the podcast. This may be a lengthy email, but I would love your thoughts on this. I'm in 100% agreement with you on the border wall. I think it would be a colossal waste of money that will do nothing to fix the problem of illegal immigration. I think Trump and Republicans are just creating the illusion that they are doing something about an issue, but they don't actually want to fix the issue because many of them, including Trump, benefit from their labor. The solution seems very simple to me. If they want to fix the problem, there is a bipartisan solution. We give undocumented immigrants a deadline to check in. Anyone here who doesn't have a recent violent criminal record may stay if they want to go through the citizenship process, deport anyone who refuses or is a threat of violence, and then fine and penalize businesses who hire them as a deterrent. Nobody will come here if there aren't jobs for them. Do you think that could work? And do you think that is fair? Thanks for reading and thanks for all the content. Hail yourself. Well, indeed, hail yourself, Denny from Toledo, Ohio. The, the businesses, uh, the fine situation is one of those sort of impossible things in many ways, right? Because they're undocumented workers. So how do you know what businesses are hiring them? And it's not as if businesses are exactly open with their uh, pay sheets uh, regarding if the individuals that they are paying out are legal or not. And then, of course, the threat of violence. What is the threat of violence? Uh, is this someone who might not have a record? But uh, perhaps the border agent or uh, the member of ICE doesn't like the cut of their jib. What happens uh, in that situation? But overall, I mean, I think that you you're on to something um, with Donald Trump. Uh, the arrests have soared, although fewer have been deported, which is kind of a fascinating uh, statistic in a lot of ways. You get the feeling the 12 percent of private prisons in this country don't mind having them behind their walls uh, because to them, they are nothing but slaves who are making an immense amount of goods for the American people. This comes from ABC News. U.S. immigration arrests increased nearly 40 percent in 2017. As newly emboldened agents under President Donald Trump detained more than 40,000 uh, people suspected of being in the country illegally with a renewed focus on the immigrants without 
without criminal convictions. The numbers released by Acting Immigration uh, and Customs Enforcement Director Thomas Homan provide a snapshot of how the new president is carrying through on his campaign promises to make immigration enforcement a top priority. Okay, so we have 41,300 people arrested for deportation. That's a 30 percent increase from 2016 to the same period of time in the year 2016. And this is where it gets um, slightly disheartening. And uh, and Denny, this is where I think that you would have a problem. Nearly 11,000 of the individuals who are arrested have no criminal convictions, more than double the number of immigrants without criminal convictions arrested during a comparable period last year. Homan said the increase in arrests stems from stepped-up immigration enforcement, adding that morale has improved among agents under Trump because they are, quote, allowed to do their job. Their job is to enforce the law, and that is exactly what they're doing, he says. Even so, Deportations were down from late January all the way into April compared with a year ago, despite the new president's stepped up immigration enforcement pledge. That was always a a, a diss on Barack Obama. Barack Obama deported more undocumented workers, undocumented individuals than any president in history. And this was one of the things that we uh, harped and got on uh, President Obama for doing. But now we have a situation where arrests are up, deportations are down. We know where these individuals go. Something is fishy there. You do wonder, is this simply a situation where the private prisons, in collusion with the United States government and ICE, And members of the illegal immigration community, are they working together in order to maintain a workforce of slave labor inside the United States private prison complex? Is that a possibility? I absolutely believe it to be. Why else would deportations be down while arrests go up? It doesn't make any sense. This is back to the article. The increase in arrests of people without criminal convictions has generated outrage across the U.S. from Trump opponents who believe otherwise law-abiding families are being rounded up. And we're seeing it. That And that's absolutely the case. It is unbelievably horrific what's happening tearing these families apart or pushing them underground, which only allows for them to do illegal things for money. The report goes on. The report was made public as the Trump administration seeks to promote its accomplishments despite a growing scandal over the firing of FBI director and the sharing of intelligence with Russian officials. The president put this out to distract from the real affairs of our country. That's according to Angelica Salas, and she is the uh, executive director of the Coalition for Humane Immigrant Rights in Los Angeles. Uh, She continues. She says it is unfortunate that he basically is using the pain and destroying our families as a way by which to give red meat to his base. 
Then they go through some numbers. 41,300 immigrants were arrested on suspicion of being in the country illegally between January 22nd and April 29th, up from 30,000 from January 24th to April 30th last year. 30,500 of those arrests had been had criminal convictions compared to 25,800 for the year previous. Uh, 10,800 did not have criminal convictions compared to 4,200 in the previous uh, period. Immigration enforcement operations have generated headlines nationwide since Trump signed an executive order on immigration on January 25th. Many of them targeted violent offenders with felony records on crimes ranging from assault to murder. But other immigrants have also been caught up in enforcement efforts, including people who received leniency under the Obama administration. One such people, Sylvia Avlar Flores, she is a 31-year-old mother of three from Utah, was picked up by immigration agents enforcing an old deportation order last month while she was shopping with her 8-year-old daughter in Salt Lake City. She was released and given three months to plan her return to Mexico, a country she left as a young girl. She plans to take her youngest daughter, age two, with her and leave her 10-year-old son and her 8-year-old daughter with her husband, who has permanent U.S. residency. You're telling me tearing that family apart is going to be better for America in the long run? Absolutely not. And that is just one of thousands upon thousands upon thousands of stories regarding the United States' broken immigration system. And again, as we talked about on the last episode of Abelian's Top Hat, uh, which is the show you're listening to now, 23,000 people murdered in Mexico last year. 50,000 people murdered in Syria. Syria is, one of the, is, is, is in one of the worst civil wars that the world has seen. And we have 23,000 people, the second deadliest nation when it comes to civilian deaths, Mexico on our southern border. These individuals are fleeing. I firmly believe uh, refugee status needs to be given to some individuals who pass. Uh, obviously, we have to we have to vet. There's no denying that. Uh, we have to vet. But uh, tearing that family apart, a woman who was shopping with her eight-year-old, uh, giving money into the economy. What is the now? What have they done? Do you feel more safe? Doesn't matter to me. I've never once been afraid of a mother of three who just wants to provide for her family. So that's a well. This conversation we're going to continue um, to have over these. Over these years, we'll see. I mean, hey, who knows? I, I, as I read on the last Dumpster Fire Chats, Mike Pence has not been good uh, to undocumented workers as well. So a lot of people are saying, well, Pence is better than Trump. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But either way, we're going to stay on top of it. And we have to put a spotlight on uh, this because this is about human rights and they are human beings. And they're not aliens. They're not all these, you know, people just throw around these words. Uh, that make them seem not human. It's there's a great, great Black Mirror episode. If you haven't watched Black Mirror, uh, it's on Netflix. Uh, it's in its third season, I believe, and I'm forgetting what episode in the third season. Uh, but a man uh, goes in, is trained to kill, and at the start of the episode, he's shooting what he believes to be aliens, and they're they're monsters, you know, and uh, jagged teeth and bloodshot eyes, and you know, hungry uh, to kill him. 
him, so he kills them. Uh, and I don't want to ruin it for you, uh, but I suppose I kind of will. Uh, at, the, at the end of the day, uh, it is revealed that they polluted his mind uh, with this notion that they weren't humans. And uh, finally, he had the shackles removed from his eyes, uh, and he saw that they were people uh, that he was killing. And, um, well, you'll have to watch and see what happens from that. But So thank you so much for the email. Thank you for all the emails. Again, email k 721 at com, And please come out June 16th, Skinny Dennis, 6 to 8 p.m. in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. The BK for BK launch. If we get 1%, if we get 5%, if we get 50%, if we get 100% of the vote, uh, it really doesn't matter because we are participating in this republic's democratic process, and that makes us uh, victorious. All right, everyone, hail yourselves. Find me on Twitter at Ben Kissel. Find Marcus on Twitter at Ben Kissel. Marcus is also on Instagram at Marcus Parks, and I am on Instagram at Ben Kissel One. All right, we'll talk to you soon. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to CaveComedyRadio.com. 